Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Sox. And I'm Lori Sox. And today we're joined by Johan Lindborg from T21 Coffee. I always enjoy meeting new friends and hearing stories because they're so important. This was a beautiful way to begin our day. I'm so thankful for Johan's openness and honesty to discuss what his path has been and this conversation about the journey of having a child with Down syndrome and sometimes not being able to find that that word for how amazing this path is. Johan's Coffee Company, T21, benefits Down syndrome research. There's a dark roast and a, and a medium roast, and it's wonderful. This conversation is the culmination of some of my favorite parts of life, my child, his extra chromosome, and coffee. T21coffee.com. So welcome, Johan. Good morning, Johan. Good morning. Well, it's really nice to meet you today. Yeah. Stephen, you came across, how did you find out about the T21 Coffee? I saw uh, T21 Coffee on Twitter. I've been following you guys for a little while. Really like what you do and your posts and the concept and just wanted to hear more and uh, invite you on and you were so gracious to come on. Well, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. I hope you get, do you drink, guys, uh, drink coffee? I hope you get the opportunity to try it. We will get an opportunity to try it. We will. Yes, we, we're coffee drinkers. Awesome. <laughs> do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I moved to United States in 2001. I'm born and raised in Sweden, and uh, I was working for an American company in Stockholm, Sweden, and uh, went on a business trip in 1998 to Paris of all places, and uh, while uh, taking my customers around on a guided tour on the Royal Palace of Versailles, I met a very beautiful woman. Her name is Stacy, and she became my wife. And uh, she worked for the same company, but at the main uh, office in Indianapolis, Indiana. So uh, we dated across the Atlantic for a little while, and then we figured out, well, this is getting too serious, so one of us have to move. And I moved over to the States in 2001, in March, April. And uh, I've been working in the pharmaceutical business for many years. And um, we had our first daughter in 2007. And then we had our son, uh, Cooper, in 2011. And with our first pregnancy, you know, take a test to see if everything is okay. And there was a certain uh, elevated risk for Down syndrome from the first one, but we, we never acted on that so we and, and that turned out to be complete normal pregnancy and everything was fine we got and our daughter emma was delivered uh for our for cooper we had the same signal where there might be an elevated risk but well we aren't going to do anything differently so we, we didn't find anything else out and maybe being male i said well what happened last time we'll be fine this time too so when he was born uh, and having Down syndrome, I was, um, uh, it was tough. 
swimming. I um, I went into a pretty dark hole for a while. Not that I showed it so much outside, but you have all these, <laughs> all these stupid thoughts in your head. And um, one of the things that I really, which I maybe is natural, but what I'm quite shameful for is, um, you know, you have these, um, <clears throat> have an iPhone and when you upgrade a new iPhone, it brings over all your stuff. So all the notes you have from way back when is still in your iPhone. So as I was um, coming home, uh, I was having a lot of questions from the, uh, after Cooper being born, a lot of questions in my mind and I wrote them down. And many years later, I opened that up and looked at it. And boy, it was tough. It was tough because I realized then how <clears throat> how bad I, I was feeling <laughs> and I didn't have one <clears throat> I didn't have anyone to really talk about that one of the things that really disturbs me the most is that I wrote down what would life be which is not hard but will I be able to love my son mm -hmm. <laughs> I see that today is hard break I mean, maybe it's understandable, but how can you be so, uh, as, a, as a father, how can you write something like that? Today, that doesn't enter my head. Uh, and I'm, I guess I'm grateful for that. If you think back to, if you've seen um, the logo for our, our coffee brand, T21 Coffee, it's a black background, which, of course, symbolizes coffee. But it also symbolizes the dark, dark hole I was in. There's nothing more precious in my life than to kiss. And, and to, to be able to write, will I be able to love my son? <laughs> That's... That's truly, it's heartbreaking. It's not a word I use quite often, but for me, that is. And um, if I would forward a little bit to where I am today, where Cooper is, just turned 12 last week, or two weeks ago. Um, fortunately, I'm in a different place. Uh, when I came up <clears throat> with the logo, so the black background, teach me to run coffee, an essential, an essential part of life. The first direction to my graphic designer was to have a silver lining go through it because for me, it was a dark beginning. But boy, it's very silver lining. And the, the graphic designer put a box around it instead. Silver, instead of a silver line, it's a silver box. And first, first I was like, ah! <laughs> that was not my, my desire when I thought about it. And, and there is a golden rule. You shouldn't argue too much with a graphic designer. It was very, pretty smart. So <clears throat> I was thinking about, yeah, that works for me. I mean, I'm completely surrounded by him, his love, and his personality, and people that cares for him. He has a community that cares very deeply about him. And at 
fits perfectly with me. Cooper is uh, is a fun guy. I mean, he is uh, basically nonverbal. He, <clears throat> I can make him say stuff. Uh, I have a little bit of a magical connection to him. So if I say something, he'll do it. Uh, or he will say a word, but otherwise, other people, nah, it's hard. He's very good at communicating otherwise by using signs or he has an iPad, which we call his talker, which he can write on. And so he's, he can communicate, but he's a, he, he's a very special guy. But man, he's always happy. He, he can really tenderize your heart to a degree which is... You, you can't communicate that. You, it's something you have to see for yourself. We have, um, he has um, graduated fifth grade and his uh, main special education teacher came up and did knuckles and he just started crying, walked away. <laughs> he couldn't, he couldn't, he couldn't stay, stay there and, and talk about not seeing him next year. Mm -hmm. And he has that impact on on people. Uh, when you when you start to wonder what kind of purpose do you have in life, maybe his his purpose in life is to make other other people's heart more tender. I don't know. I truly don't know. Well, the world could use a lot of that. Yeah, you're right about that. Johan, thank you for your honesty and and trusting us with your feelings. Um, I really appreciate that. I don't feel like there's room for shame. Um, there's no need to feel shame because I know that there's, there's so much unknown. I don't, I don't know what you knew about Down syndrome before Cooper was born, but I know we didn't know anything. A lot less than I know now. <laughs> yeah. And all we actually knew were the negatives that came our way. So it's really hard not to have fear in that moment and, and lots of, lots of feelings. Uh, and that's really why we started this podcast because we didn't want, I mean, Cooper is 12, Liam is 13. Uh, we didn't want anyone to feel how we felt and we wanted to put messages out there that were, you know, positive and filled with hope. And actually what we feel is, the actual journey of having a, a child with Down syndrome. None of the things really that we were told in the NICU and, you know, by society have actually come to fruition. And But I think it's absolutely 100% like a, a natural feeling to have just, I mean, in, in anything in our life, to have fears when we're dealing with the unknown and when the unknown has this, foundation of of negative you know so thank you for being thank you for sharing that because I don't think that you're the only one who has felt that before and when you received the diagnosis if you were given a snapshot to your life today you might not have had those feelings you'd still maybe be curious how you got here or or what it actually meant but I don't think that we're given the information to help support our child when they're born with an extra chromosome, I think we're given a lot of hogwash. Yes, I, I, I think so for many. For, for us, they sent in an, another physician at the hospital who had a kid with Down syndrome who was very good and 
talked through a little bit how he was seeing it and his writing. But uh, that's also a situation where it's very hard to process. It's kind of, you need to go through it. So it's um, at about an acute situation. I think you need to, and that varies from person to person. I think you need to take the, the dark emotions. You need to ride them through a little bit before you're able to really listen. I mean, he said a lot of things uh, that I probably didn't listen that much to. He said a couple of things that I did remember, and they turned out to be true. I mean, he he talked about that. Yeah, your your kid will hit milestones a little later than others, but there are still milestones, and you'll be just as happy to see him develop. And and I think that is one of the key um, questions or things that you need to realize and to to really get feel comfortable with your with yourself and your kid with Down syndrome is yeah they are a little different sometimes very different and but there are still successes and you need to learn that they are on a different time schedule and you need to adapt to that you can have them adapt to your time schedule and when you can get around to do that you will you will have fun he has an older sister right correct yeah i feel like it's it's so funny how i think with our daughter, you know, she hit our, her milestones and we never, um, I don't think we ever really stressed if any of them came late. And I feel like, you know, like with Liam, there was this pressure of, you know, we knew when it was supposed to happen and really, he should be doing this and yeah. really working to get to that spot. And I, and I think that what I have learned is, uh, one, I enjoyed his milestones so much more because I was actually able to really see them unfold and have an appreciation of what we we all go through as humans to develop, like the, you know, what it takes for us to walk, what it takes for us to feed ourselves. Like, those are all miracles that we should celebrate in our lives, like all of our lives. And with Liam, I could just see like everything that it takes, the, you know, all the, the effort, yeah, the effort, but also the words that I didn't have when Sophia was developing the, all the technical definitions of, you know, fine motor, gross motor, I just like, oh, yes. all of these things that I, I learned along the way. And that was something that helps me now to be able to say, all right, I, I, I want to put the same foundation as I do, the same structure as I do for Sophia, but just as much as I do for Sophia, allow him to find his way there with the supports that he needs. Like, how can I support him to get there? Is that really where he wants to go? Yes, and, and that, that adaptation is, is so key. And I, I, I find it's interesting when I track along on different forums for where Down syndrome is is debated, for instance, on Facebook and other places. And there's a lot of people, oh, my son will daughter with uh, Downs hasn't hit this milestone yet. Where when did you your kid hit your milestone? And and I never reply to them because but I always think that's that's the wrong way of thinking about it. It's not going to make you happy. Don't compare your your kid to a typical timeline or even to another Down syndrome time, timeline because there's a huge variation within the Down syndrome community when different individuals do different things. And I, I just don't see the benefit of that. It's so much more important, as you say, to adapt to your kid and, and see 
what can I do to help them? And do they want to go there? That's the key. Yeah, I think that that could be even parlayed into our typical daughter too, like comparing her to other people. Because that's what know? we're we're told. We were told from day one, don't compare her to other kids. <laughs> yeah, just, that's, just as that's a parent, the thing. Right? Uh, the doctor, the pediatrician, the teachers. She'll, she's got her own timeline. Uh, yeah, you know? I, that's something that we are actually given that. With you know, we were given that with our neurotypical daughter, but what? But why is it we just? I think because there's not, you know, with Liam, I felt the the there's fear there. Like, is this ever going to happen? A, a fear that doesn't, like, I don't fear that with my daughter and I don't know why, but there's, yeah. there's a, there's a fear there. And then there's that, does it happen? Because we're told, because I think, I don't know if you were given a list, but we were given a list of all these things that he would never do. And I've had teachers say, you know, say to me, well, he's just here for socialization, correct? And I was like, mm, he's in, he, I can take him to Disneyland for socialization, but we compare. I know that when I've compared in the past, when I've asked the question, will he do this? And I, and I think you're right. I think it doesn't get, I think once we get to a place where we're seeing him accomplish things and we're in that, in that place of being with Liam, uh, when we finally got to that place, I can say that all those questions before came from fear of not when, but if, and needing to hear that someone else has or can. And, uh, and, and we've been very fortunate to hear so many of those stories. And that helps a lot because you can see that everybody, you're on your own path, Johan, right? Everybody's on their own path. Yeah, we can all, you know, do things. Maybe I do it quicker than someone else or slower than someone else. And But I, we, Liam's shown us that he ends up doing it maybe at a different timeline. Yeah, in his time, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering the other questions. Do you remember any of the other questions that you wrote down or do you feel okay if you do remember them, sharing them? No, I think that was that was one that stood out when I looked through it. Uh, it's a lot about questions about how would life be. I mean, there's a lot of fear for the unknown, which is natural. Uh, now, it's interesting what kind of support you get in schools. I mean, we have an, a very good school over here in the East Coast of Massachusetts. They've been very supportive, and he's been getting a lot of resources and uh, <laughs> he, he's a he's, he's a funny guy you know i'm from sweden my my wife is from texas so he's half cowboy half viking do you think he's stubborn <laughs> oh boy <laughs> uh but he he had one speech therapist that he didn't really agree with that much so they had two or three lessons a week at least. And one of them, she had decided he's, he was going to say a specific word. And he didn't want to do that. So he came in and she started and he just went to the corner of the room and stood and stared into the corner for 30 minutes until the lesson was over. He was not going to give her an, a victory. That's communicating, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a one way of communicating. It's my way, not your way. Liam does that uh, similar thing where he'll like he wants to go see a movie, let's say, and he'll just fr Monday morning he'll talk about that movie that we're gonna go see on Friday. And it's every day going, we're gonna go, it's very we're gonna smart. go, right? We're gonna go, and I'm like, man, I should use this in my life. I know, I learned a lot. Just keep from saying what I want. 
that's one thing that it's actually our whole family is like because everything that he, he'll say he'll say uh, you know whether like at the beginning of summer it was he wanted to see the Transformers movie or for his birthday he started I want to go to Disneyland for my birthday which is in February and I'm like it's in February but <laughs> we get a while um, so first I was just like well that's in February and then he he would say all right uh, can we go to Disneyland for my birthday? And then now I'm to the point of, okay, so I will start now planning. It's kind of like, and he's we made schedule it, it. <laughs> he's made it happen. And, and it really does in all seriousness, it really gives me insight into how to think, how to make things unfold in my own life. It's that persistence, you know, cause when you see it, like he really, I can't think of anything that he's ever wanted that he hasn't made happen. And, and all of us, uh, joke about like we really need to adopt the way that he just knows what he wants and then goes after it and oh the, and with blinders it. on is like right? he's just gonna do it before Liam was ex- like his verbal communication his expressive communication was really coming in it it did it took me a while um, because we would say his he's uh, non-expressive or his uh, other pathways are stronger than his expressive pathways. But it took me a while to realize, no, he's expressing. I just have to listen to that. And I remember we had a speech therapist. And first of all, with therapies, you really just have to go until you find the one that not only works, it should what works with your your child. Like that that is something that I really and then they have to really jibe with the whole family if they're gonna be in your home. But um one time I remember listening and I think it was might have been over Zoom, because that was the only reason I was in there. And they were giving Liam a lot of guff for not doing what they were saying to do. And I realized nobody was listening to Liam. Like they had their agenda that they, they had what they wanted him to do. But Liam's a human, not a show monkey. There are certain things. And and why doesn't, is it because that sound is hard for him? Is it because you know what? He doesn't trust you. And try to get me to do something for someone I don't trust. It's, you know, I'm, I have different ways to cope with people I don't trust, but I feel like there's like this, this veil (laughs) that's removed from Liam where he's not going to be dishonest. Liam is a really good judge of character. And if there's ever anyone that he's just like, "Mm," right when he meets, we're, we're cautious as well. Cause he's, you know, he sees the best in most people. And if there's ever anyone where he's just like, "Mm -mm," then we trust him. But I did notice that when he was doing different therapies that I had to step in and say, are we listening to Liam? One, is he doing what we're asking and we're just not picking up how he's doing it? He might not be doing it the way you want him to do it, but he's doing it his way. Or maybe that's like he needs help getting there. Yeah, it's it's very interesting what you're saying. I mean, some of these things I do notice with Cooper as well. I mean, one trick with Cooper is you need absolutely 100% to connect to him emotionally before you can get something else going through him. You, you need to look him in the eye. You need to smile. And there's got to be, if you don't do that, he, he, won't, he won't pay attention to you whatsoever. You can do what you want. He, he won't care. You absolutely need to get that emotional connection with him, and uh, if he trusts you, he will he will invite you and communicate to the degree he can. But if if you don't do that, he will turn around. He can go stare in the corner for thirty minutes just to get rid of you. It's like Cooper's teaching us manners. <laughs> you know what? There's so many times in the IEP meetings at school where the, the teacher is saying. He's very, very clever in teaching us what to do. 
Oh, you sound, it sounds like you have an amazing school <laughs> yeah. that an, in an IEP meeting, you'd get that feedback. Yeah. Just right when you said that and you said he'd rather, if he doesn't, if you don't make that emotional connection, I was like, Could, couldn't we all use that when we're talking to people? If we have like a connection instead of talking, I don't think we'd talk at them and I think we'd be better listeners. And then if he goes and stands in the corner, that's like classic meditation <laughs> like to go stare. It's <laughs> like, I mean... And those are th just like, as you're saying it, I'm like, those are two great lessons. And one of the challenges I've had with, you know, my son's journey is that people will view who he is or what he does as less than or with some kind of, some kind of prejudice or like preconceived notion of what it means. And I really feel like Liam is the teacher. Liam's got it right you know, um, the, the way he talks to people, he stands his ground and he can be stubborn. And there is a uh, room there now that of course he's a teenager. And so there's so many other things going on that we have to like touch base and give him guidance. Like, you know, like you do for every teenager, but I feel like that gets discounted sometimes, you know, he, he's stubborn, but the reason he's stubborn, I see for the most part is because he gets away with a lot of things. People will allow him to do things if he if he asks three times or if he rejects what they want to do two, three times, then they'll go, oh, OK, Liam, because because they, they, he, so he's smart, he's like a, he's like a magician, he's like, you know, and then they're like, oh, he's just because you know, they kind of go, oh, he's so sweet and this and that. But, you do have to have boundaries. You have to, you know, have rules. And, and if you make sure that Liam follows these certain rules, then he, he goes and, and does it. But and I see I, him try to push, push, and then someone goes, oh, all right. Well, I'd, I'd keep doing that, too, if I can, if I can get away with it. No, that, is, uh, that should be eye-opening for so many people who have kids with Down syndrome, in my opinion. Uh, there is such a fear to me maybe because I'm culturally different because I'm Sweden. I don't know why, but I, to me, there's such a fear from teachers, teacher community to put boundaries or put a bar or really don't back down when you want something. And if you don't do that to Cooper, he'll walk right over you. But if you do put down a boundary and he learns the rules, then that's it. Uh, so Basically, he's a little bit more open now, but for a long time, the last three years, if you want him to do something, if I said it, he would do it. If someone else, including my wife, said something, he was like, no, no, he would just wouldn't do it. But he knew if I said something, it was going to happen, whether he liked it or not. And he, he just agreed. That's why I think I feel like that would go back if we went back three years. That was when like Liam was around 10, 8 to 10, that he was very... I think he dug his heels in a little bit more as well. And it would, and it was definitely would depend on how people spoke to him. There was a point uh, where I just started to try to understand where he was coming from, like what it would feel like to be told so much about your, on a constant, more than most kids told about their ability, like, uh, you know, going to all of these services, doing all of these things and establishing your voice and your power is a milestone in kids. And that's what I was seeing is Liam finally realized, hey, I'm not just on this ride. I am this ride. And so I have some say. And if I could go back, I just remember this one time where 
it was kindergarten and you know you're not supposed to hug and uh but everybody wanted to hug Liam all the kids always wanted to hug Liam and then when Liam would hug back they'd be like Liam hugged today and our first question we learned to say, the would say who was hugging him why tell us about the situation well you know first so and so came up and asked him for a hug and then but then he got to like any any and one of the kids fell and we were like well that just sounds like a bunch of people hugged and lost their balance so, and their kids. So they're, what's wrong with that? Well, he got in trouble and he refused to apologize. And when I looked back at it and I remember, but they were on him all day. Are you going to apologize? And he was just like, no. <laughs> and he, but he didn't have the, exp- he didn't have the words to express. No, he, he probably didn't feel like he did anything wrong. And nobody else probably apologized. And that gets discounted. And I feel like for so much of his life, he was a pawn, you know, he was told what to do or what to feel or how to respond in a way that it wasn't a bar that the other kids were held to. And we went in the third grade right before the pandemic to, you know, where you could come in and it was someone's birthday and you could bring like a treat and, you know, they sing. And I just remember, and it was for Liam And I just remember when all the kids were allowed to like run outside because we had set up the treat, all these kids were like running and screaming and just like going to where like the apparatus things are and like bah and scaring each other and all of this like wild, uncontrollable (laughs) behavior. And Liam walked out with his aide and he sat at the table (laughs) with all of his, like, because that's what he had to do. Like he didn't have that same, he wasn't given that same breath to be a nine-year-old. And that was when Stephen and I and our IEPs were like, you know, he's just as great of a model in a classroom as whatever you're wanting him to model from the other students. He's an asset in the classroom. He, he, he shows the kids things uh, just as much as they show him. That's, that's great to hear. It, it comes across some, also sometimes how smart they can be. And, and uh, Cooper loves to be funny. So this first speech therapist that he didn't agree with so well, she had made a decision. But he's going to say yes during a 30-minute session. And she tried all the different things by reading a book. And he said other words. And she tried to make him say yes. And he wouldn't do it whole day. Yeah, well, couldn't get him to do it. Then in the next class, he was thinking, I'm going to see if I can make him say yes to. So she set up a, a question. So he, he would have to answer yes. And he answered okay instead and just looked at her and smiled, <laughs> knowing fully well that she had set him up and, and knowing fully well that he was not going to fall into that trap and said something else. <laughs> Very smart. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, did she ever ask him why he didn't want to say yes? Or is it the, you know, the, he's, there was he's basically nonverbal. So it's hard. You don't have longer conversations with him. You, you get one or two words out of him and if he's a talker, he can write sentences, but it's, you don't really have a standard conversation with him. I feel like that is a standard conversation. I feel like that was so much has, was said in, in that silence. And then in the fact that, that he remembered what her agenda was and was still going to stand his ground. I feel like that's such a beautiful. And the option he took. I mean, to take an option, you have to know what, 
what right what you have to you have you. to know and that that's what I was talking about like when I finally I don't know how old Liam was but I remember I think I had the epiphany actually once we had started this podcast where I actually like saw him and I was like oh my gosh yes <laughs> and I just remember going you know like in that situation like you had with Cooper when I was receiving questions, mostly for education, I try not to like, I've tried to get to a place with society where I don't have to fight to prove who my son is. And it's not my business what other people think. But in IEPs, they would tell us they would tell us that he's not, um, what is it comprehensive, he doesn't comprehend or these things that he couldn't do. This was his old school, they'd always tell us all the things he couldn't. And I would start to find things in his day that were like, well, if he can do this, this, and isn't that an example of it? So yes, that's, he is doing it. We just have to choose to get off of our perception of what we think it looks like and allow it to present itself in everybody the way it presents themselves. We're not all the same. Absolutely not. And, but they, as you know, our, our dear kids can also be a challenge. I mean, at school, they try to bring him into the, the typical class as much as possible. And last IAP we had, they said, well, I think we need to take him out of science class. And I said, okay, why is that? Well, every science class, science class he attends, he turns around and falls asleep. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm not going to argue that one. Uh, obviously, science doesn't interest us in whatsoever. And so... He is a master of falling asleep. Twice he has been known as falling asleep on a rock on a moving horse. Wow. So <laughs> when he decides something, he decides it. But uh, I agree with you. The focus should not be on what they can't do. The focus should be what can they do and, and what steps can we take from there. And that's one of the key things that I do in, in my company, T21 Coffee. So we have two goals to benefit the down syndrome community. One is that we, for every bag of coffee we sell, we give one dollar away to down syndrome organizations. So we give away currently to uh, Massachusetts Down Syndrome Congress, which is a very active organization and is, is very powerful. Uh, secondly, we try to hire as many people as we can with Down syndrome. And the principle there is, I try to look at what can they do, what are they good at, and how. What can they then do in our company? So three young adults helping me out uh, with Down syndrome. And one of them, Felicia, she is an actress. She has been in several movies. She has been on a movie in Netflix. And she's very happy to be in front of a camera and is extremely verbal. So she's like the best person I ever met with Down syndrome in terms of her ability to speak and, uh, and communicate. So we'll do some video clips of her where she do, does promotions and we put them out on social media. That's what she does best when she can do that for me. Um, we had a, uh, in a town where we live in Lexington, Massachusetts, we had a, let's call it a discovery day a couple of weeks ago where they shut down downtown. The companies that are in the town can put out there and make little booths and people can walk around and discover what kind of stuff we have in town. And, we had a booth at T21 and Samantha helped out, young woman with Down syndrome, and she was fantastic in organizing things. She's been studying in college, and she was great at setting up the stand and organizing the merchandise and making a nice presentation, and she was fantastic to work with every person who came up. 
uh, where we were handing out free coffee, she would go, hey, my name's Samantha. It's cool to have Down syndrome. And she was talking away with every, every person there. She was fantastic. So the focus should be on what do they do good? And how can I employ that? And that's the way it should be. I mean, think about it. That, that goes for the rest of life, too. If you run a, a football team in NFL, and if you have a Tom Brady as a quarterback, are you going to tell him to run the ball, or are you going to tell him to throw it? If you know anything about football, you're not going to tell Tom Brady to run the ball. He's going to pass it. Yeah. It's such a simple thing, mm-hmm. right, that we, that we kind of do for most people. But I, I just think that people would see leaps and bounds. Absolutely. If you looked and you said, what does my child do? What do they like? And how do I support that? Like, I'm not going to, you know, ask them to do something that they don't enjoy. That's such a mindset shift that that could happen societally and uh, scholastically in every area. Focus on the strength. Let me focus on your strength. And let me let me really nurture that. Yeah. Now, and, and, I, and, and it's so wise to focus on your key strengths and play to your strengths and, and make them even stronger. But maybe the point here is also, also to keep your eye open for new strengths. You don't know what he can do if you haven't tried hard enough yet in some, some areas. Uh, how did you come up with the concept of T21 Coffee? Well, I mean, as, as a parent, I think you... You always think for your kids, you think ahead a little bit and you think, okay, what are they going to do in life? How are they going to fit in? I think that's a normal thought that all parents have. Um, If you have a kid with special needs, I think you might think about that a little bit more often. So I was thinking about, I mean, what will his functional level be when he's older? Can he do a job? What kind of job? Will there be an openness for someone to give him a job but can focus on what he can do, whatever whatever level that will be, which I don't know what that will be. And the more I thought about it, I can say, well, I have two choices. I can either wait and see what happens or I can do something about it. So I chose to do something about it. So I wanted to talk to my wife. So I wanted to start a company where we tried to benefit the, the Down syndrome community. And she thought that was a great idea. We thought about it for a while, and um, we ended up with a coffee business. It fit in what we wanted to do very well. We need to put in a lot of capital to invest in the beginning. I found it it has different legs. So right now, it's an online business only, where there are certain types of jobs that I can offer to people with Down syndrome. If it takes off and there is a steady revenue stream, I can see that we could start Right now, we're partnering with a local roaster who roasts for us. We could expand and we can open up our own roastery and roast ourselves, which would provide more work opportunities. Or we could expand the other way and we can open up a coffee shop, which would open up other work opportunities. So I, I like this idea of having different legs where we could expand and because that's what we're trying to do, to give opportunities to people with Down syndrome. And uh, I like coffee. Yeah, it's it's really great. Um, if you focus on people's strengths and you start like start a business with that thought process, even your own strengths. You know, you're just talking about what do I want? Like, okay, how about low capital at the beginning? How about not a 
brick and mortar store that we can do something, you know, I mean, you made it so it was accessible for you and your family and, and what your strength was. And it just goes right into what we were talking about. Absolutely. I mean, here in town, uh, Langston, Massachusetts, I mean, they shut down Starbucks because they couldn't get enough baristas. There's a lot of challenges around uh, in the business world right now, and you need to think about how you fit in. What's phenomenal is you, you essentially set Cooper up to be a CEO at some point down the line, if that's what he chooses that he wants to do. I'd be thrilled if that would be the case, but we'll have to see. He can do, yes. And that's one of the things you said, too, is I don't know where he'll be, which is such a, like, all of these things are such gifts because, you know, I'll bring it back to my daughter who's, you know, going into the 11th grade and everybody's focused on, you know, for her to spend her summer doing things to prepare her for when she prepares to go to college, which is in like two years. And there's such this focus on not this moment, but putting so much energy into this other thing down down the road for her. She gets overwhelmed about this moment in front of her, like to be able to enjoy that. And the gift of Cooper is you're like, well, let me let me go ahead and take some of that stress out of the way. And you're giving the power essentially to your family and to Cooper because it's not based upon if society doesn't evolve in the way that we hope it does. And I, and I feel like we're evolving with diversity and inclusion, but just in case you've really created this great environment that would not only benefit Cooper, but other individuals and your community. I mean, a good coffee shop is uh, good coffee. <laughs> like to me, that's a great asset. It's an essential part of life. Right. right. And I, I feel like if we go back to when we get the diagnosis, there's all of this blah that isn't really depicted of the actual journey. And we've spoken to so many parents who on this journey, it just elevates your life. Like it elevated your life to create this, you know, altruistic entity that supports so many and does such good in the world and gives back in a way that you probably wouldn't have done if if you wouldn't have had Cooper. I mean, the actual story, the actual information that we should be given at birth is your child is going to elevate your life in every area. Like if you would have been given that, maybe your heart wouldn't have felt so heavy. Maybe it wouldn't have felt so empty. And I know that feeling. Like I felt like the ground was pulled from underneath me and I couldn't breathe. I think for me, I would have had to know that probably in my youth. Uh, I think as an adult, I had already had a, a mindset of what things were. So when I was told that information, I'm not sure if in that moment I could have been given anything. I think Johan said that too, where he needed that time to like feel that darkness or just get through that. That's why I feel like inclusion in school and the workplace and our youth is so important that I, if I had learned these, uh, uh, been given these nuggets of information of, about Down syndrome as a youth, then as an adult, I would have taken that, that news a lot differently. And I, I would have benefited from knowing people with Down syndrome much younger, which would have only helped me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean... And, and you probably know these figures too, but I mean, there has been a remarkable change in the trajectory of uh, people with Down syndrome. If you go back to the 1920s, 1930s, the expected length of life for a person with Down syndrome was nine years because you, the medical community didn't know about the heart defects and the other things that today 
I think roughly half of the kids that are born with Down syndrome is immediately wheeled into surgery and they take care of heart, heart issues. 1980s, the expected length of life for a person with Down syndrome was 25. That's not long ago. Now they can live into their 60s or 70s. We as a society and as a medical community has learned so much about syndrome in the last 30, 40, 50 years, and the people are with us now to much more degree than when we were young. I mean, they, they were not in classrooms, et cetera. So I completely agree with your point that, yeah, you've had a very, very different view if you had grown up with people with Down syndrome around you, yeah. Well, Dr. Scott Cove, who um, is a doctor near you in Mass General. Know him well. Yeah. We've always heard him say that, yeah, here we are with this progress, but the chromosome has never changed. It's society changing. It's the medical community changing, deciding that not only can are these medical advancements possible, but, but that they're worth doing for our children, too, you know, that this life because of experiences with, the, with with other people, this life is as important as any life. You also have people coming up that had some inclusion or had people in their life that ha- had Down syndrome. Like Dr. Scott Coe, you know, he came up and he is making changes. We see, we can experience the journey and we see the injustices. So we, as uh, Ted Green just recently reminded us it's a it's like a grassroots effort where we are internally making the changes at, from the community where we're bringing those insights and it's one of the great benefits i feel from social media is that the voices are being heard and the stories are being told that tell a different story than what we're given you know you you said that if you had someone in your classroom that was that had Down syndrome, then you would have that nugget with you. What about if you just weren't fed the false story? What if you mm-hmm. you weren't given the the information that's wrong? You, you like parents worry when their child is born if their child will live, and that fear is rooted in the fact that the mortality rate, the morbidity rate, was so so much higher. But the information that never follows is it wasn't because our children were weak or feeble or it was just because they were denied life-saving surgeries. They were denied the medicine that they needed. And now that is changing. And now you're seeing, you're just seeing a different, you're, you're hearing a different story. You're seeing a different life being played out. Well, I agree with you that it's important to have positive information and relevant information and that's up to date about Down syndrome, but that's information, that's the rational part. I think the big joy of Down syndrome is the emotional contact, which is, I can't describe it. There is such a contact between me and Cooper, which I, when I come home from work, he can look at me like half a second and he can immediately tell. It was a good day, a bad day. He can read people to a degree that no other person can. He, he is truly a gift there. And it makes me think about, so I have my family still over in Sweden, and we flew over, and I saw my one of my cousins where I haven't seen her for years. She actually works in, if you ever been drinking absolute vodka, she works in that factory that makes absolute vodka, and told her that Cooper had Down syndrome, and she just broke a wonderful smile and said, Oh, I love those people. They are so great because they have a few of them coming and working in the factory out of them. And, and they are so 
she used an expression that's kind of hard to translate, but they are so um, friendly is not the word. Um, What's the Swedish word for it? It's a southern Swedish word, basically, which is like they're so emotionally comfortable. They're so great to be around. Uh, there is an emotional connection there. And that is something you need to experience, which you can't get to by just hearing all the rational stuff and all the facts and, and all that. There is a mysterium that you can't get to unless you you interact with someone down something. It's like the golden ticket in Willy Wonka. <laughs> it really is. Because when you're saying that, you know, that emotional thing, I think society will have their own description of they're an angel or they're always happy, which I think we as parents know that's not necessarily true. <laughs> so we fought that for a really long time. But it's it is. It's like you have this little healer. And I never want that to change in Liam. He's somebody who is so present in any moment that he he really sees you. And I think that that's it. Like, was I ever really seen before? Somebody who just can cut through like any kind of whatever I'm trying to pretend as my facade if I'm not 100%. And someone who celebrates with you, mm -hmm. you know, the good stuff. It's not just like if you're sad, it's like, yeah, like if you're happy about something, and Liam's along for the ride, he's going to unleash your real joy because you're going to, you're going to be happy to where it's cool. Like, so nobody like <laughs> looks too hard at how happy you are, but Liam's going to be like, he's going to top notch you to where you let go of that shell and celebrate. and celebrate life and celebrate the moment at hand. And that is, is this enormous gift. You're right. You can't put it into words. I We wanted to know the Swedish word because it was like, that might be, it's something that can't be. So as we're talking, I go, my mind goes back to communication. It's not, it's not the word. It's not being able to say the word, right? Johan, you can't say the word, but you know the feeling and you communicate that with like your face and everything. And, and that is the gift. Like if I could tell every parent like that, this isn't going to make sense, but like just when you're ready for it, it's such a gift and it's such a shame that it doesn't, it doesn't get exalted. It's such a shame that people don't see it or understand it. Absolutely. And that, that goes back to my, my dumbass question on my iPhone. Would I be able to love my son? Mm -hmm. Hell yes. But it's not a dumb question. I don't want you to beat yourself up ever because I think there's so much guilt on this journey because I had it, a lot it, of dumb questions. I think I was lucky I didn't write them down because then I would <laughs> I'd read I'd read them. I don't think now. you had an iPhone. Did you have an iPhone then? I don't know. You didn't have an iPhone. <laughs> I had the He'd three. Have, I don't know when the I iPhone don't know, three was. But my hope is that new parents don't feel that. But I don't think 13 years ago and 12 years ago there was enough information or stories out there yeah, or but, things. It's not the information. It, it is as a choice what you do as a parent. And, and you honestly, if you're a good parent, you don't have a choice. You're going to love your kids no matter what. I don't beat myself down over it, but I'm just amazed how I could have been in that place. Now when I have all the facts and all the experiences, I'm like, how could I ever thought, think that way? I mean, it's, it's like, it's alien to me. That's a good point because... I think most parents of children with Down syndrome will look back at who they were prior to their child and, and they'd say, man, I am a totally different person now. In certain aspects, yes. 
uh, we have a family friend back home in Sweden as a nurse. She made this statement once. She says, all the parents, but are parents of kids with Down syndrome, they're often so happy. It is like the Down syndrome kids choose the parents. It was a funny way, funny expression. Of course, you mean it seriously, but but there is a golden impact to your life. And, and as you said, you become different. You become better. And there's a lot of joy. So much, mm-hmm. right? So so much that we there's you, 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 we could talk forever and not find the word. You're, it has to be experienced. It has to be experienced. And, and not in the way that it's fed to us, not in the way that we're told at the beginning, in a in just real transformative, can't find the word way, <laughs> you know? Uh, we want to put a link to your coffee because one, do you have a dark roast? Um, two, <laughs> two uh, do you want to talk about your coffee for a minute? And we'll put a link and people can order your coffee online because you ship, do you ship everywhere? Uh, as long as you're in the United States, yes. Great. All right. Uh, Yes, uh, we do have a dark roast. We have a medium roast and a dark roast. The medium roast is called Morning Blend, and it's very smooth, uh, but still very rich. Uh, There's a lot of people that sometimes have been preferring dark roast, actually like the medium roast, because it, it is pretty rich. I tend to use a little bit less water when I brew that one, and it brings out even more full character, and it's Really, really nice blend. So that's the morning blend. Then we have a dark blend called Kickstart. So sometimes you need a little kick, get going. Uh, they're both available online. We're an online business only. And we ship throughout the U.S. If you're a repeat customer, you can make sense to sign up for a subscription. And then you get shipping free. And your website? Uh, website is uh, t21coffee.com. Every, every parent needs coffee, unless you're a tea drinker, then that's okay too. <laughs> but I have to tell you, Bane of the last almost 16 years, I've needed coffee. Well, since, since you live in California, there, there is a study there, famous medical study called the oldest old. They wanted to look what kind of factors explains whether you make it into your 90s or not. So they took a large cohort of people that are 60 years old, and they followed them for 30 years. And check what they how we're exercising, eating, drinking, etc., and looking for factors that could explain whether you would make it into your nineties or not. So there was only three factors that mattered. One was alcohol. The equivalent of a glass of wine a day increased your likelihood of making it into your nineties. Exercise. If you exercise thirty minutes a day, and it doesn't have to be anything extreme, just walking the dog or something, but doing something active. 30 minutes a day, increased your probability of making it into your 90s. And the third factor was coffee. Two cups of caffeinated coffee. Decaf didn't work, but caffeinated coffee increased your likelihood of making it into the 90s. Well, you didn't have to uh, give me that information to make me want to have coffee, but yeah, I'll think of that next time I grab a cup. (laughs) It's been so nice to meet you, Johan. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. and And thank you so much for your openness and honesty and sharing your story. Oh, it was great. I really enjoyed it. Have a great day. Thank you so much. See you guys. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod, and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod, or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com, to send us an email with questions and comments. 
And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Come and talk.